Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. It's good to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2. Ezekiel, chapter 2. title of this message is, God has something to say. God has something to say. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet. He did not think that that's what he was going to be. He was raised in a family of priests, and it was expected that he would grow up to be a priest, serving in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, But at age 30, when normally a man would start his service as a priest, Ezekiel was not in Jerusalem. He was a captive in Babylon, 700 miles away from the temple. And you don't do sacrifices anywhere else but the temple. And so there was no place for a priest in Babylon. But it was at that time and in that place that God called Ezekiel to another role. The role of prophet. It was very different. And it rocked Ezekiel's world. That experience of God's call upon Ezekiel's life is found in Ezekiel chapter 1. We pick up with chapter 2 where Ezekiel is on his face. He is lying on the ground. The vision that God gave him, the call upon his life was so uh, overwhelming that Ezekiel could not get up. And we pick up with chapter 2 verse 1. God said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Do you hear the double description there? And their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. They will know that a prophet has been among them. God is a talkative God. That may come across as an unusual thing to say because we rarely hear God audibly. Some people do. Some people claim to. Uh, When we do hear Him, it's usually in our hearts and in our minds through, through the thought process or through His Word. But because we don't hear God audibly, most of us, most of the time, we think that God doesn't say a whole lot when in reality God is always speaking. There's never a time when God is not talking. And that's important for us to know because when God says something, and He's always talking, what God says is of paramount importance. It's always important. He always says something that we need to hear. God never wastes a single syllable of a single word. And so when he speaks, it is paramount that we listen to God, that we be attentive to what he's saying. 
that would seem uh, obvious, I think. But the problem is uh, that God is not the only one speaking. In the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John tells us this. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So while God is always speaking, there are at the same time spirits, Satan and his entourage of colleagues, who are also always talking. Satan is always talking. His, his evil spirit army, they are always speaking. And the problem is that there are times when these evil spirits sound like God sounds. They even preach a message that is eerily similar to what God will preach, even though it will not be the same. Now, the problem with that is we, more often than not, are not discerning enough to be able to tell the difference between when an evil spirit is speaking to us and God is speaking to us. It would really be nice, wouldn't it, if when Satan speaks or one of his evil spirits speak, wouldn't it be nice if it was noticeably obvious that he was speaking and that we could tell it. Oh, oh man, I can tell 10 miles away that's Satan or one of his spirits. That's certain, that's not God. That would be great, wouldn't it? The problem is that's not the way it works. Satan has become an expert imitator of the voice and message of God. And because of that, when we listen and we think we're hearing God, there are times when we're not listening to God at all, even though we think we are. And therefore, we end up listening to and abiding by a message that didn't come from God at all. This was the dilemma that Ezekiel found himself in. He was in Babylon rather than Jerusalem. He thought he was going to be a priest, to grow up to be a priest, just like his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather before him. But he's in Babylon. He's 700 miles away from the temple. And God speaks to him. And he speaks to him in obvious ways so that Ezekiel knows that it's God speaking to him. And God says to him, I'm going to speak to you and you in turn will speak to my people. But, God says, it is not going to be easy at all. So I want us to walk through this experience in chapter 2 that Ezekiel is having. And the first thing I want you to notice is uh, that, that Ezekiel finds himself in a strange position, in a very strange position. And, and what we learn from that strange position is that God, just as he used Ezekiel's circumstances, God will use our circumstances to reposition us to a place within his will. You see, uh, Ezekiel thought that God was calling him to be a priest. That's, That's the expectation that he had. That's the expectation his family had, his father had, and grandfather had for Ezekiel. He just knew that's what he was going to be. And so from the time he was born until age 30, he was training to be a priest. 
But as I mentioned earlier, the priest does his work in the temple, offering sacrifices to God or speaking to God on behalf of the people. That's what the priest did. But sometime uh, around the year 600, give or take a few years, but around the year 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king and general of Babylon, invaded the southern kingdom of Judah and took away large numbers of Jewish people. He came in three different trips. The first trip was before 600, and and he he came into Jerusalem. He didn't tear anything up, but he, he captured a lot of people, and he took the first deportation of people to Babylon. He comes back 10 years later, and he takes another group of people and deports them to Babylon. This is probably when Ezekiel was deported. He was deported in either the first or second group. And then, along about the year 588, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to Judah. And this time, he surrounds the city of Jerusalem, and he besieges, lays siege to Jerusalem for a period of two years. And he doesn't let anybody go into Jerusalem, and he doesn't let anyone come out. And he starves the Jewish people into submission. Two years later, uh, after the two-year siege, he goes with his army into Jerusalem, invades the city, destroys the temple, tears down the city's walls, and carries the best and the brightest and the strongest of all the people back to Babylon. He only leaves behind those who would have been a burden to him, those who were weak, those who were sick, those who were invalid, those who could not, for some reason, care for themselves. He left them behind, along with the prophet Jeremiah. And he carries them to Babylon. And so Ezekiel, rather than finding himself in what, what, was, what he would have expected to be his position in Jerusalem, he finds himself in a strange position in Babylon. And instead of God calling him to be a priest, God instead calls him to be a prophet. Now let me tell you uh, in simple language the difference between a priest and a prophet, because it's very important that we get this. A priest represents the people to God. He talks to, the, to God on behalf of the people. That's what a priest will do. A prophet represents God to the people. He talks to the people on behalf of God. So there's a big difference between a priest and a prophet. Ezekiel thought he was going to be a priest. Instead, God calls him to be a prophet. And instead of representing the people to God, he will be someone who will represent God to the people. He will speak God's word to the people. Some of you have been in a position in your lives before where you thought your life was going in a certain direction. You even may have thought that God was... Uh, had his hand upon this direction in your life when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something intervenes in your life, interrupts your life, and changes the course of your life. And what you thought was going to be the route that your life would take now takes a totally different route that you did not expect. And you're left in a position where you wonder, hey, God, I thought this was the direction you wanted me to go in, but now now circumstances have changed and I'm going in this direction. What is this all about? And what it's all about is simply this. 
God has changed your direction. God has changed your direction. Uh, and here's the deal. God will work through your circumstances to change you from the route that you think is his will to the route that is his will. And so when you get a detour in your life, when a, a crisis interrupts the peace that you're living in, know this, God is not surprised by the crisis. He's not surprised by the tragedy. He knew all along that this tragedy, this crisis was going to come into your life. He may, he certainly allowed it. He may have put it there. He may have put you in the position so that he could change the direction of your life from the direction you were in to the direction that you were going to be in. In Ezekiel chapter 1, the first three verses, we, we see uh, the beginning of Ezekiel realizing that his life has been interrupted and that God is in the middle of it. In, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, in my 30th year, Ezekiel says, which is very important because that's the year he would have started his priest duties, in the 30th year, the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, that's in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Busi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There, the hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezekiel realized that God had interrupted what he thought would be the path his life would take and that God interrupted it because being a priest was not what God wanted for Ezekiel. God wanted Ezekiel to be a prophet. And so he changed his direction. So there is a strange position where God uses our circumstances. The second thing I want you to notice about this passage is there was an impossible request. An impossible request. You see, God often commands you and me to do what is or seems to be physically impossible so that when we end up doing what seems to be impossible, we will know that God is the one who had to do it. We couldn't have done it. All right? Now watch this. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God said to me, son of man, stand on your feet. And I told you that uh, as a result of, of experiencing this, this powerful vision of God in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, Ezekiel is on his face. He's on his face because he doesn't have the power to stand on his own. And so what happens? Verse 1 of chapter 2, God says, son of man, stand on your feet. Stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Now this was a problem because Ezekiel was incapable of getting up. He was incapable of standing up on his feet. And so, verse 2, as he spoke to me, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. So, God commanded Ezekiel to do a simple task, but it was a task that he, he was incapable of doing on his own. And then God made it possible for him to stand up. The Holy Spirit literally went into Ezekiel and stood him up. If you skip down to verse 8, God says, open your mouth and eat what I give you. 
And I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll or a book. And he unrolled it before me. He opened up the, all the contents of the book before me. And on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. I, I want you to picture this. There was a message that God wanted Ezekiel to convey. And symbolically, he showed Ezekiel this message in the form of a scroll or a book. Every page, front and back, had words written on it. It was uh, uncommon for a scroll to have words on both sides. In this case, the scroll had words full of it. It was full. The scroll was full of words on both sides. And God said, I want you to eat this scroll because you will eat this scroll. It will be sweet to taste but it will be sour to your stomach. And this is the word that you will in turn speak back to the people. And it was an impossible word. Not only did God tell him to get up when he was incapable of getting up, but God gave Ezekiel a message that not only does Ezekiel not want to deliver, but it was impossible for him to deliver. He could not even digest it himself. That brings me to the third part of this message. Not only was he in a strange position, and not only did God give him an impossible request, but he pointed him to a contradictory people. Who were these people? They were God's people. You see, because God speaks primarily to his own people. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 3, God said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. It's interesting that they were the children of Israel, but a nation of rebels. Those two should never have have been descriptive of the same people when, it, when we're talking about God's people, but they were the people of God, but they were rebellious against God. Now, the point that I want to get for you, give you right here at this point is this. When God speaks, most of the time, I'm talking about the majority of the time that God speaks, He's not speaking to the unchurched world. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to His people. In the Old Testament, when God sent the prophets to, to, uh, to prophesy, to preach, He didn't send them to the pagan nations. He sent them to His nation, His people, the people of Israel. God still speaks today. And a lot of times we think that God is speaking to the unchurched world out there somewhere, and they're not listening. No, God is speaking to the church, and we're not listening. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, Solomon has taken over the kingship from his father David. And he's talking to God and he's asking God for wisdom. And God says this in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. And now I will sit and wait for them to call. To whom was he speaking? If my people, 
Did you hear that? If my people. You see, God is speaking today. Now, granted, there are times when he speaks to the unchurched world. But, but most of the time, when he does speak to them, there's one message that he's saying to them. And that is the message of salvation, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the message that God is forever, continually preaching and sending to the lost world. But most of his message is not to the lost world. It is to you and me, those of us who claim to be God's people, who claim the name Christian, who claim to follow Jesus. But the problem is we, like the Israelites of old, are a contradictory people. Not only contradictory, we are contrary. We are. And that brings me to the last part of this message. And I have to tell you, I, I struggle this week with this thing because I'm all about the fact that God will change your direction and use a change in direction to refocus you and reposition you to His will. I'm all about that. And I'm all about uh, the fact that God often will ask us to do, command us to do something that we are incapable of doing so that when we do end up doing it, he will be the one to get the glory. I'm all about that. And I know you are too. But you don't like me standing up here and saying that you're a contradictory people. You don't like me saying that you're a contrary people. And, and when I say you are, I'm including me in that. We are God's people to whom God is doing most of his talking. We are a contradictory and a contrary people. And, and the final thing, because we're contradictory and contrary, the message that God gives is an unwelcome message. You see, what God has to say, which he says primarily to his own people, is often unwelcome to those who hear it. Again, Ezekiel 2, beginning with verse 3, they and their ancestors, who's he talking about? Not the unchurched world, he's talking about God's own people. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you, they're obstinate, they're stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them you hear that? You see, uh, Ezekiel is in uh, the worst kind of position because God has called him to preach God's message to his people, but at the same time, God has told him they're not going to listen to it. They're not going to welcome it. You will get in trouble. You will be threatened by it. You will be criticized by it, and you just need to know that's what's going to happen. Now, if I'm Ezekiel... And God is telling me this, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say, God, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I don't, if they're not going to hear me, what's the point in me saying it anyway, right? And so that's what I would say to God. But God, all the time, tells his prophets, you will say what will not be welcome to the people to whom you are saying it. He says in verse 6, of Ezekiel 2, and you, son of man, do not be afraid of them 
or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. <laughs> That's Ezekiel. It'd be nice if I could stand up here to you and say, well, this, this only happened to Ezekiel. It was only to Ezekiel that God gave a message that the people didn't like. And he told Ezekiel in advance that when he preached this message, they wouldn't like it. But Ezekiel wasn't the only one. I, one of my favorite passages, chapters in the Old Testament is, is Isaiah chapter 6. That wonderful, beautiful passage uh, that, that describes Isaiah's call to salvation and his call to ministry. It was in a crisis time. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, in the year that King Uzziah, who had been king 52 years, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord, he says, high and lifted up, sitting upon a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it, there were uh, angelic beings, seraphim, who were flying. And as they flew, they cried to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says the post of the temple shook at the voice of those who spoke, and the house was filled with smoke. And then he says this, he says, then I said to myself, woe is me, I am undone, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a bunch of friends who have unclean lips, but now my eyes have seen the Lord. And then he heard God's voice, and God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And immediately after that, Isaiah, I can see him raising his hand saying, here am I, send me. You've probably heard that, that verse quoted before. Here am I, send me, Isaiah said. But what we rarely hear quoted are the verses after Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Here's what God said. He said, go and tell this people, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. And make the heart of this people callous. Make their hearts hard. Make their ears dull. Get them to close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, turn and be healed. In other words, the same thing that God told Ezekiel. That is, I'm giving you a message you will preach it to my people. They will not hear it. You will not get a good response is the same message that God gave Isaiah. In fact, it's the same message that God gave all the prophets of the Old Testament. It was always a message that God commanded them to, to relay to the people, but the people never wanted to hear it. And sometimes it wasn't that they didn't want to be obedient to God. That wasn't it. They thought they were listening to voices, other voices, that were speaking a different message, and they thought they were obeying God. In Jeremiah chapter 28, Jeremiah ran up against this, this very thing. It says in chapter 28 verse 1, in the fifth month of the fourth year, early in Zedekiah's reign, the prophet Hananiah 
who was from Gibeon, said to me in the presence of the Lord, in the, present, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest and the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed. Here's the problem with what Hananiah said. He wasn't relaying God's message. He was relaying a false message. He thought it was God's message, but it wasn't. In, in fact, they did not come back in two years. God did not have them bring back the uh, loot from the temple within a two-year period. It was a 70-year period, actually. And, and even then, what was in the temple never was brought back. But Hananiah thought he was preaching the truth. And the people, including the king, listened to Hananiah because they thought Hananiah was speaking God's truth to them. But hear this, he was not. And so, how do you know when God is speaking to you? When God is speaking to you, how do you know that he is speaking to you? Well, perhaps one way that we can know when God speaks to us is this, that when the message we think we hear is not the message we want to hear, there's a good chance that's God. You hear me? How do I know when God is speaking to me? When the message that you think you're hearing from God is not the message you want to hear, guess what? There's a great possibility based on the prophets that what you're hearing is from God. On the other hand, if the message you think you hear God saying to you is more often the message that you already want to hear, that is, if the message you hear is the one that you already agree with anyway, then there is a good possibility that the voice you are hearing sounds like God, smells like God, feels like God, but in reality is not God at all. It's an imposter. Because you see, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the minor prophets, when God speaks, He will tell you what you need to hear, but will hardly ever tell you what you want to hear. And that hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And I'll tell you why. I realized that for most of my time here at this church, there has not been a prophet speaking from this pulpit. Because the things that I feel certain that God wants me to say to you, I have not said. And I don't feel I can say. 
And that hurts me deeply. That I've let God down and let you down to that extent. But I'll tell you why I haven't. It's not because I don't love you. I do love you. I love this church. This is my church. But I know that if I said on any given Sunday what I believe with all my heart, God really wants me to say to you, you know what would happen? A few of you would get up and walk out. Those of you who would be respectful enough to stay for the whole service, among you there would be some who would leave but never come back. And there would be a good number of you, not all, who would stay, but you'd want a new pastor. If I said to you, and if pastors across this country said to their congregations what God really would like for them to say, but they're not doing it. And I haven't done it. And I don't have the courage to do it today. I love my job. I like eating. I like having a house to go home to. I like driving my truck. I like having a dollar or two in my pocket that I can use to eat something with when I'm out and about. I love to be able to buy things for my wife. And all that's good and well, but I realize that the cost of that is that for so many Sundays here in front of you, when I have preached, after I got through, I would get in a truck and on the way to that Mexican restaurant that Amanda and I go to almost every Sunday, there's a whispering voice that says to me, there was not a prophet at Palmetto today. I said the same thing at the end of the first service, and I had people come up to me and hug me, and they said, you, you preach the word. You tell us what we need to hear. I mentioned that I was a coward for not being courageous enough to tell you exactly what God wanted me to say. And one fellow came up to me after the service and he says, you ever read Revelation 21? Do you know what the Bible says about cowards? I do know. And some of you will probably do the same. I'm not asking you to. But as soon as I say this, I also know that some of the very ones who would say to me, you need to tell us exactly what God wants you to say to us, would be among the first people upset if I did. Let's pray. What can I say, Lord?
What can I say? I'm not an Ezekiel, far from it. Nowhere close to Isaiah or Jeremiah. Not even close to the unknown, unnamed prophets in your word. But I feel in somewhat the same position they were in. You gave them a message for your own people, knowing that those people would not accept what you had to say. Only difference is they went ahead and said it anyway. Me, on the other hand, I'm just looking for a prophet. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. So you see, Lord, we need you. We need you badly. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.